0: Hi everyone and welcome, this is the second of the kind of new part of Seek Sustainable Japan where I am on location and I'm on location with Alex Kerr in Alex Kerr's beautiful home here in Kamioka. Great to be with Great you Great to Alex. see
1: you finally.
0: Yeah and we have Ruth joining
2: us from Tokyo today, right Ruth? Well from Kamakura but yeah I wish I was there with you guys. Yeah, well that was the
0: original plan. That was the
1: plan, plan. yeah. We were hoping you would be here too.
0: So all three of us are tackling different tourism topics from different angles and we thought it'd be a great way to get together and discuss and Alex invited us to stay and talk from his beautiful home. So we'll we'll try to do it again when you can join us too, Ruth.
2: Yes, I want to.
0: Yeah,
1: we'll have a reunion.
0: Now, how's the weather there today? It was nice weather in Kamaoka today.
1: Yeah, it was raining all last night. Uh, today it was just, it was a little bit muggy and cloudy, which is perfect because tonight the fireflies will be out. Oh, and nice. I, right next to my house is a little stream. And at this season, we get hundreds of fireflies. It's really dramatic. So I'm I'm looking forward to tonight.
0: That's yeah. wonderful. It was raining too hard for the fireflies yeah, last house. last night oh. they,
1: they, they uh, took cover Yeah, <laughs> but they'll be out tonight. Well, this house I didn't do much actually. There's some structural stuff you don't see like the were you know falling in <laughs> and there was no electricity and no water. Uh, but the look of the room is you know basically what it always was.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Uh, it's nice to see you. Enrique has joined from YouTube. Awesome to be live again! Yay! Thanks so much for joining Enrique, great to see you. Uh, So the time has come, it's official 5 o'clock now. Uh, Ruth, you mentioned that you were reading an interesting article which I think sums up a lot of the issues about tourism in Japan right now.
2: Yeah. talk about that? Well, um, I'm pretty sure it was in the Yomiuri newspaper in Japanese. Um, I don't remember exactly which paper it was in, it was quite recent. And it was talking about how 89% of the population of Japan, and I, I must say, including myself, <laughs> approves, <laughs> approves of the uh, current border control situation of not letting people in from the outside. And um, the other one was that uh, there's only 19% of people in Japan that actually have passports to go overseas. So they were wondering, you know, is Japan going back to sort of the closed country situation? Does Japan want to go back to the closed country situation? And the first thing that came into my mind was what Alex has been saying all along, is that I think that's kind of a referendum on how we've handled tourism over the last several years. Obviously, tourism has not been a good experience for a lot of local Japanese people, local, you know, international people like myself, like... I don't wanna go to certain places and have it overrun with tourists. And I think that um, coming from a a background of being growing up in Hawaii, it really resonates that even in Hawaii, there's a lot of people that are like, we don't want the tourists, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is a, a wonderful opportunity to try to figure out how to do better because no one is saying they don't want any customers. Everybody wants customers. Everybody wants economic viability. But it's just the, the how. And, uh, what, one more point was that, uh, one of the things that I mentioned was that number, that 89% of not wanting people from the outside. Um, that includes all of us internationals living in Japan in that group. So it's not just a Japanese, non-Japanese thing. I feel like it's a living in Japan, loving Japan, wanting to, you know, maintain the beauty of Japan and then thinking about how do we open those borders going forward in a much more effective and sort of empathetic way. That's what I thought.
0: And this is this is something I've been saying for years, talking about sustainable tourism, which is supposed to be good for locals, good for visitors, and that balance. And I think for commercial tourism around the world, definitely including Japan, we've kind of missed that mark. and. A lot of places in Kyoto, for example, Mm. I was avoiding Kyoto for years and I think many local people in Kyoto were very unhappy with too Mm. many tourists coming in, right? And Alex, you've seen so much success from your wonderful rural revival Mm. projects, Mm. which show a much better tourism.
1: Yeah, a different way to do it. Well, you know, some... You know the, the big slogan that the government's been using for uh, oh over ten years now, fifteen years maybe, is uh, kanko rikoku. Rikoku mm-hmm. means raising up the country. Kanko is tourism, so raising up the country with tourism. Uh, but I did a book some years back, which is only in Japanese so far, here, yeah, which is called kankobokoku, <laughs> and boko means destroying the country with tourism. And uh, my point of this book was not that we hate tourism. No. And ironically, uh, the numbers of tourists that Japan gets are less per capita than a lot of other tourist reliant countries in Europe and so on. Japan could literally, they got 30 million in 2019. They could get 40, 50, 60 million. Yeah, I mean, they're going
2: for 60 million, right, by 2030.
1: And that's not a horrible thing. That is doable. No, it's not. But... It's about how you do it. And so this book is actually kind of uh, like a a sort of a textbook on techniques. How do you manage it so that it's sustainable? The problem is, is that Japan did not have any manageable, uh, sustainable approaches. It was chaos, right? Everybody welcome, you know, whatever, Uh, anything goes, pack the numbers in. Uh, The bureaucrats, of course, love the numbers, and so 10,000 people today and 20,000 people next month, that's progress and that's success. And of course, that's where the whole thing goes off the rails. And uh, so there are a number of, of issues. Um, I think that tourism going forward, sustainable tourism, we're going to have a real paradigm shift. And
3: one
2: uh, thing excuse is- me, I think there's yes. some kind of static happening with, oh. with this. Just a minute. Is that yeah. Yes, this is that's better. It was like a static it kind of sound. Sorry, I okay. think that oh, that's I, good. I just yeah. wanted to say, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think we're headed towards a paradigm shift, and that shift is comes down really to this: namely, not everybody can go everywhere anytime. There will be right. limits and restrictions. And that's a kind of a challenging idea for Japanese bureaucracy, who have been brought up in this kind of democracy idea that everything should be be free and open to everybody. And it's partly because as bureaucrats, they never want to have to argue with anyone or have anyone complain, they don't want complaints. And so that's the easy way out. And plus, with the exception of certain uh, very popular museum shows and things like that, Japan hasn't had Uh, until pretty recently, the kind of incredible crowding from inbound tourism. Uh, And so that was like a new experience. So they weren't used to it. Uh, But what this means is, for example, let's first talk about museums. Mm -hmm. It's been uh, getting to be a standard around the world that at popular, uh, important museums, that there are reservation systems. Yes. For Gaze Museum in uh, in, in, in New York, in Rome, where you apply on the internet for a certain time, and you show up at that time and you have the place quietly to yourself. There's no mob. Now go to the Japanese museum. They're they, lying they Oh yeah. It. Oh yeah. <laughs> but but that has not been true for museums, certainly. Yeah. Right. And so what happens? They're lined up three hours and be the people with bullhorns. Everybody step you know, ten people over here yeah. and U-20, you twenty can be over Finally even, oh, even at the least Oh man. Finally crowded. finally they allow you in and um, you know, there are 20 people between you and whatever you came to see is the nightmare. It's mismanagement. Now, what what happens with the reservation system is the people that bothered to reserve get in and the others won't, right? But of course that has several good effects. One is that it makes the museum experience really nice for the people that do uh, go to the trouble. But the other thing is it raises the hurdle of care and trouble so that the people who, who go just because it's free or because they heard about it somewhere, you know, the people that really basically don't much care about the art don't go. And the people that really wanted to will go to that trouble and they'll go. So you actually get a higher level of visitor. Right. Right? So it prunes out the people. And one of the problems we've had in Japan, especially with these Chinese tours, is that they go with, to the places that are free or are cheap, right? Or And so... They don't even know what temple they're in. It's just that it was a cheap thing and the bus took them there. Raise the entry fee by just a little bit, and those buses will now stop going there, which is just fine, because the people that really did want to go will go. So there, there are different ways to manage access. One of them is a reservation system. Yes. Another is simply a daily limit. So it's first come, first serve. And there's another way, which is of course uh charging more. Now, yeah. charging more is difficult because you don't want to rule out students, right. uh, older people local,
3: so, people,
1: local people. But of course, and here's another key thing about it. It can be more subtle than just saying, OK, it's it's 2000 yen per person. But well, you can say, well, if you can prove you're a Kyoto citizen exactly. or you're in neighborhood or you're uh, you know, 20 years or younger or whatever, there are all kinds of ways in which exceptions can be made and a, a sliding scale can be yeah. you know, put into effect. And so, unfortunately, this is another problem in Japan, is that rules and regulations tend to be absolutely draconian and uniform, yeah. right?
0: But that's a, that's another idea uh, you didn't mention, yeah. but mm. another way is to extend the opening hours. Yes. So uh, when I went yeah. to Kiyomizu-dera, one mm. of the most famous Kyoto
3: yeah.
0: uh, temples, I went there when they opened, And it was like 7 a.m and i was with a lot of local people Mm. who enjoy going there every day and that's part of their habit and they value that as their local community experience Mm -hmm. and we need that and then i went to the hydrangea park Mm. and because it's so busy they also have the nighttime light up event Mm -hmm. so then you're extending the time and hopefully you can also pace hmm. out how many yeah. people are going in at once you
1: although got- the nighttime light up event itself often uh, becomes a huge crowd scene yeah. and certain places now so on the upside or the the forward looking side certain uh, the Tokyo National Museum which had been very resistant to it right. because of covid did establish a reservation system which i believe is still uh, going on and Kyoto uh, National Museum uh, somewhat later also started doing it. Now their reason for doing it was COVID uh, control. And so what I fear is the minute they feel more comfortable about COVID, they're gonna say woohoo, now let's get pack them in again. You know, that they'll go back to where they had been. But at the moment, it is managed with reservation and is pretty good. Other places like Shirakawa, you know, where the the famous multi-story thatched roofs, in their fall and winter light up season, they have established a reservation system for getting into the village, because they're yeah. lucky, you know, there's only one road in and one road out. Yeah. So you can literally manage who gets into the village and not. And so, so these are the, I call it a technology of, of management of these things.
0: also for places like that, you could limit it to only people who have booked a night to stay.
1: Which so, is what Venice is. Eliminate uh, day trippers. Yeah.
0: Which is
1: a big. Venice part of has topic. Venice has said either you have a place to stay or you pay an, uh, uh, what it is 10 uh-huh. euro or something yeah. if you're a day tripper, right? Yeah. So so there are all these management techniques that will uh, reduce the crowding, spread people out. Because what happens is when the big tour bus can't go to site A, that's yeah. Green, they'll go to site B and site B might be a little further out of the way exactly. or less famous or whatever. The people that really could use a little more tourists. Right. So it kind of automatically spreads out a bit when not everybody can go anywhere.
2: I, I really like in some of the small uh, museums in Japan, like the little um, places where the artist is doing just sort of a pop-up kind of place. Hmm. Um, this past weekend in Yonezawa, there was one where it's by appointment only and you get to speak with the artist. So when you go look at this little gallery, the artist is actually there to talk about their art. And I, I thought that, that that is such a beautiful thing too, because one of the things that uh, is difficult about uh, tourism in Japan is that a lot of everything needs to be explained. And there's not that many people that can explain it really well in a very engaging way. So it would be really nice if you could make an appointment at a castle and also have a really nice guide there to you know, speak to you in your language and tell you all the little stories about that castle.
1: Yeah, well, guiding, of course, is yeah. uh, all kinds of uh, pamphlets and information and yeah. uh, guides and everything are, are, are not very helpful. But
2: right? we can make it so much more personal going yeah. forward, I think. Yeah. Let's get yeah. back to
0: one of the points that, uh, Alex, you mentioned, which I think is really key is the idea of benefits for locals, right? So either you have certain times, uh, for example, if you have a big elderly population, uh, make early uh, times when they like to get up and go, make that free entry or half price or for local residents who can get that added value. And Hmm. Ruth and I grew up in Hawaii. Uh, We have the kama'aina discounts the kama'aina benefits, yeah. that's the local people yes. uh, yeah. living in Hawaii who can show their ID, yeah. and they can book something that the tourists want to do, but lo- locals like to do it too. Get, get
1: preference. And yes.
0: get, get that, that value yeah. so, as well.
1: So, so that's a kind of multi-tiered, sophisticated right. management, which has been pretty much 100% missing. Uh, there are a tiny handful of temples such as the famous Moss temple the Moss garden temple in kyoto which has for many years 20 years 30 years now required reservations mm-hmm. and they're very strict and very few people can go it's it's almost like the extreme on there they won't even do it on the internet you have to send in a stamped postcard you know it's well the like,
2: ghibli museum is like that too yeah, Ghibli, yeah. 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 The ghibli
0: museum. yeah i i i when my kids were small i looked many times i could yeah. never get a reservation yeah. Um, but, you know, this is how you stagger entry so that you have yeah. a maximum capacity. You don't go over that, especially yeah. for enclosed spaces going forward <laughs> after COVID. That seems like an important point. Even
1: before COVID, it was an important yeah. point. Yeah. 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 And, and there are other ways, by the way. So it isn't only about that. It's also There are also issues of access. So one of Japan's pitfalls that's also created part of the nightmare is this idea of bendri, which means uh, you know uh, convenience, and it's very old-fashioned. It's a kind of developing country, nineteen sixty-two ver- idea of convenience, which is bust- is Everything needs to come right to the gate of the temple. There has to be a huge parking lot, Whoa. and if you and if you, don't, and if you don't do that, no one will ever go. You know, well, Europe has gone. Right. Op- Europe has gone the opposite way. Hundreds of European towns have shut out cars altogether from their wow. uh, centers. Hundreds, not two or three, and we're talking big cities like Madrid. I mean, you know, this is really something.
0: And even London. Yeah, big. More for any outside of London. Cars. Oh, right?
1: yeah, well, I mean, New York. I think it's ten or twelve blocks of Broadway are I have been shut off now for years. Mm-hmm. Uh So what? What does this do? By making people walk. Cuts down on the congestion considerably because there's okay. a longer stretch where the people actually are, more but money. it also means more money. What they found, and this this kind of is so runs against the the traditional kind of Japanese, by traditional, I mean post 1960s uh, Japanese mentality about Bendy. It's the opposite. When the buses came straight to the temple gate, and yes. all the shops, restaurants, cafes, and everything in between were totally ignored and got no benefit at all put that parking lot a kilometer away, and they have to walk through those streets, suddenly that's the the town or the area, the neighborhood that surrounds the temple comes alive. And uh, there's some dramatic cases of the opposite. I give talks about this all the time. And uh, there's a temple called Oyamazumi Jinja on a little island called Omishima near near its Hiroshima (laughs) prefecture. And uh, they had this wonderful old Uh, sando you know the approach old tradition of these old streets and they said no no we're gonna make it bendy and they built these big uh, bus parking lots right near the uh, shrine and boom it died it's it's now a ghost town right and almost immediately and the irony is the people who pushed to have the big bus uh stops are the local business guys Right. Because yeah. of this idea that if you could make it bendy and easy, that everyone that they'll benefit, and it's the opposite. Yeah. So then,
0: having that passing trade from the outside town bus stop, they walk or they yeah. take the streetcar yes. or they take the rickshaw. Yeah. The, and they do the long walk. They stop at cafes and shops along the way.
1: It, it, so it actually brings. So so there's this irony that making it less convenient, make, mm-hmm. making people walk out the burdens so you suddenly you don't have this crush at the temple gate and it also right. brings financial benefits to the neighborhood. So that these access issues are actually uh, a huge problem for Dan and it's, it's really hard for that to break through. But
0: I think one really important point from that yeah. too is you're also creating a better experience
1: Oh, yeah. Visitor, of yeah, of right? Well, part of it is you have completely destroyed any atmosphere at the gate of the temple once you build the monstrous uh, tourist facility. And in fact, one of the really kind of perfect examples of how to do it right is Stonehenge. Now, mm-hmm. the Japanese approach, let's just imagine what it would be, right? You'd have the shops and flashing lights and a lot of signs and a big highway leading right to it, an enormous bus stop, right? No. Stonehenge, they removed the whole visitor center, everything for two kilometers away. Wow. How do you get there? You can walk, you can take like golf courts, carts that are set right. up. And, and then when you do get there, it's just fields and some sheep. And yeah. so you go, oh, the ancient druids, you know? It's, yeah. it's really, the choreography of it leads you back into antiquity. Whereas the Japanese one kills the place. There's no sense of magic, ancient, Kyoto Buddhism or something. There's just this big, monstrous car park. So there's also cultural benefit and an experiential benefit for the visitors in that they are slowly led into it. They're walking through a bit of old Kyoto to get there, right? Um, And and so these are other ways in which the whole, the impact of it, you can have just as many or more people coming, but the impact is softened.
0: And that's another way to reduce the impact of day trippers too because there is a time commitment embedded in creating more distance from the top sites right so people know they have to commit at least half a day yeah if not a full day if not an overnight which is better for the local area as well as better for them to enjoy the experience right
1: yeah
2: i am yeah I I, um, speak to a lot of different groups in Japan. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting groups that I get is, well, sometimes they're interspersed within the normal group of people I'm speaking to, are Mm -hmm. um, owners of hotels or uh, Mm -hmm. yokan Japanese inns, things like that. Mm -hmm. And something I try to suggest going forward, uh, once we start opening borders and people start coming, Mm -hmm. um, why don't you assume someone is going to stay at your place for three to four to five nights. Mm -hmm. Think of everything that as if someone is gonna stay at your place for five nights, okay? And so that means you would give them lots of information of all these different cafes in the area, things that they can do. They might be working in their room because everybody's gonna be doing these workations. So, um, you know, they might be working in their room, then they might wanna go out in the afternoon to a cafe where there's Wi-Fi. so where would that be? Um, They might take a little day trip uh, a little bit out of the city, you know, the third day they're there. But it's kind of like, from now on, let's change our minds so it's not just one night stay everywhere. It's like, assume everyone who's going to come is going to stay at least three or four nights. Yeah. And how would you create this experience for them?
0: And even even if they don't stay five nights, but the idea is let's create the best most deep experience even for one or two nights they might choose to change their plans and come back again Mm -hmm. in the same trip they might come back on another trip to japan exactly yeah i just want to give a quick shout out to the comments thanks for the comment marion she says such great ideas we need this for Kamakura too what better way to get to know a community than take a long walk through the neighborhoods on the way to a famous site
1: yeah um one of the things uh ruth that touches on what you just uh mentioned you know there's an expression which i've again i've written about this in that book which I, maybe i should put it into english at some point uh there's which uh you hear more in southeast asia but the, the term is zero dollar tourism and it came about because they would have these chinese tours that were booked in beijing and then they would fly from Shanghai, you know, and they and and they would uh, stay in Chinese-owned hotels and take Chinese-owned buses and uh, eat at Chinese restaurants. And then it would all be done with Pepe. And the, the money never right. went to Australia or or Cambodia or whatever. And they've had yeah. a lot of um, uh, symposia and all that. So it's, and even laws have been passed in Cambodia and in Australia. Really? Yeah, uh-huh. because it became quite an issue. But yes. it's much bigger than just these Chinese tours. Zero dollar tourism is the kind, as I define it, is the kind of tourism that looks great that the bureaucrats love because it's numbers. So, for example, Shirakawa, they get hundreds of thousands. I think it might be well over a million by now. I don't know the number. A huge numbers of tourists go there. And it just looks fabulous. What a huge success. You know, massive crowds. And so it's loved by the bureaucrats as a success story. But when they did a study, they found that the average person spent 40 minutes. Yes. They basically took their Instagram, used yep. the toilet and left. Yes. Yes. And maybe spent 100 yen in the vending machine. Which means that the little money that did go to that place went to the people that own the parking lots and the bus companies right. and the v- and, and, and 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 Suntory and Coca-Cola. The locals got close to zilch. So meanwhile, for example, down in in Shikoku, you know, where we run our House old thatched houses there. We're set up so I mean it's it's physically impossible to come for 40 minutes when I mean, you've yeah. got you know you've been there, you yeah. stayed, you've got to spend the night. And so we did a calculation and we found that one little kid staying in our house is the equivalent of literally 25 people. Wow. A busload. Just come the, the amount of money that they spend because they spend the night, they eat the local food, you know, they might use a local guide. Uh, there are all the different ways in which they spend money, real money in Ia, and the other thing is that none of it is going to any big chain or to the bus company right. or to the convenience store or, wh- or whatever. It's going straight in to the village. Yeah. Our staff who manage the thing live in Ia, Exactly. So their income is going into Ia, and that's where the numbers are very deceptive. So another key element of this story yes. is don't get caught up in the numbers of visitors. Right that that per se is not telling you if this is really benefiting the local area. Yeah.
0: And I would say that's even that's negative dollar tourism. Well, yeah. Because the taxpayers all the infrastructure that created oh, yeah. the way for them to get there and not spend any money. You're yeah. you're doing negative. tourism a negative dollar. Oh yeah, tourism. if
1: you add in what they spent to build the bus thing and the visitor center and and, and then uh, when you
0: have yeah. so many people dropped at one location at the same time, that's also really stressful for the locals who run the yes. shops and yeah. locals who are trying to enjoy their area as well. Yeah. Um, we we saw a similar thing uh, in Miyakojima when mm-hmm. we visited mm-hmm. in one of the Okinawan mm-hmm. chains. Yeah. And they were uh, trying to build, this is before COVID, trying Mm. to build a huge uh, cruise ship. Oh, boy.
1: Okay, that's...
0: And then the locals were telling us, we don't understand all this money being spent on this, but how are they going to get anywhere? Yeah. How are they going to fit on a local bus?
1: No. Where are
0: they going to spend money? Well, they don't
1: don't spend money. The cruise ships actually are one of the huge... Popular programs, right. um, the Japanese government, and so on, because it's a way to spend a lot of money building things. That's what yes. it's, that uh, dogs and demons, you know. Yeah, uh, construction is us. But what what uh, what what they haven't paid attention to, and there's been a lot of writing about this, is very well substantiated. Basically, the cruise ships bring close to zero dollars, yeah. whether it's the Caribbean, uh, uh, Amsterdam. Makes them stay at a port 20 minutes, 20 kilometers away. They got them away out of the city. Yeah. Venice is now removing the cruise ships from Venice. Really? Because, yes, because they found that they were spending more money providing water and electricity and so on uh-huh. than uh, they yeah. got from the ships. And remember that the people on these cruise ships sleep on the ship.
2: Yep, eat on, on the ship. On the ship.
1: Yep. When they do get to shore, what happens? The cruise companies have their associated uh, uh, merchandising yeah. uh, companies that build these kind of malls, right? Where they're selling often it's jewelry and things like that. And that's where the money goes. They never get out of the mall. So what little money that they are gonna spend in the locality goes to the mall, which is more or less owned by the cruise ship company and its yeah. uh, related company. So it, it, it's, and of course the damage done uh, to the environment, yeah, you know, so beautiful bad. islands destroyed and coral wiped out and I yeah. mean it's just so a the cruise ships are a, yeah, right? are a serious case of minus
2: yeah. Uh, I, would, I would like yeah. to get back to one other point is that yeah. um I truly believe that until the the bubble economy started yeah. that um Japanese people traditionally do do long vacations like long re- like tochi, tochi where you go to an onsen and it's like a healing stay that you have for three or four days. And you go in the onsen morning, you go again at night and you get uh, revived through this. It's a distant place that you go to and you, you, know, you get refreshed mind, body and spirit, uh, whether it's a temple, whether it's an onsen, whatever it is. And I feel like if we could just get away from the whole bubble mentality of the big buses and the numbers and the shiny things and go back to what it originally was, where it's a tabi, you know, where it's an exploring something. And I, I feel like that actually fits with the Japanese psyche very well. And I think going forward, a lot of tourists are, are gonna seek that out. It's not gonna be, I just wanna stay there one day. They they will look for places that are a little bit off the beaten path.
1: Okay. Well, that was already starting. Yeah. Uh, COVID. And, right. and, and, and there are also a lot of Japanese who seek that. Because yes. there is this tradition of pilgrimage Yes, I mean people would go to the 33 temples of Kansai and the 88 right. temples of of Ishikoku, uh, and, and there's yeah. lots of other pilgrimages. There's a pilgrimage to all the imperial tombs and pyramid. Oh, there, there are many, many of these, and so that tradition is is well established. Yeah. And of course, one of the biggest pilgrimages that there ever was was uh, all through the Edo period. Millions of people called to Issei. Right. But, and Kumano, and the reason why the Kumano heritage, World Heritage, Kumano uh, paths yes. are uh, there is because these were people going, they were taking this huge, and it took weeks, months, you're talking three days, these people, you know, these were serious, yeah. and, uh, and, and of course, that's how these various... Nani nani Kaido, you know. Yeah, uh-huh,
2: Tokaido
1: and, and yeah. Yeah, well, there's not just the Tokaido, but that's the Sendo and da-da-da-da. they were they were there because people traveled step by step up these roads, stopping at the various uh, inns, restaurants, <laughs> temples, shrines, right? So that tradition is is certainly there.
2: And maybe so, one of our goals is to just slow everybody down, you know, <laughs> going forward. Like, how do we slow everybody down? COVID well, has been kind of good for that. We've all had to stay home, you know, we've had to kind of slow down a bit.
1: Well, one way you slow them down is what I'm talking about. Shut the town, shut the, 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 the uh, at least historic city centers, shut yeah. out the cars, you know, put the buses somewhere else, uh, you know, literally. Slow it down physically. Slow
0: it down. Yeah, there, there have been some examples of this. Ginza in Tokyo, right? Yeah. On every every weekend, I don't know if they still do it, but
1: they were yeah. shutting down. No,
2: Pedestrianized, and it boomed
1: yeah. after that. So Ginza is actually a a, a true te- sort of test case.
2: Yeah, it's a good test case.
1: They shut it down on the weekend, and what happened? It boomed. I think they should shut it down permanently. Yeah, they should have a hokosha Tengoku in Ginza all year round. Why not?
2: Yeah. And Tokyo, they don't, benefit, in-
1: they don't benefit from the traffic on normal days. No. Yeah. So, it, it, again, it's still hard to make a really strong step. Okay. Oh, well, maybe on the weekend, but well, regular days, no. Uh, they could easily shut down Ginza, and it would not affect Tokyo traffic at all.
2: I agree. I feel like a lot of these people. I- yeah. Yeah. Yeah i feel like a lot of these places the different regions are trying this sort of uh like a discount for the local people like tominwari like if you live in tokyo you get a little discount or yamagata if you're yamagata it wasn't yamagata people who got a discount it was people from other prefectures who came Uh and so the go-to travel is kind of like that too Uh so there are little like hints of this this new trial that's going on
1: Yeah, unfortunately, and this is kind of the sad thing where COVID was actually a, 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 a problem, in that up through 2009, 2019, when, when we were getting these incredible crowds, there yeah. was a lot of discussion. There were conferences about it. People were complaining about over tourism. Uh, there was one of another, by the way, issue that we could talk about if we have time is horrible, uh, truly nasty signage, which yeah. was up everywhere, all that kind of thing. And people were aware that it was a problem, it was being talked about and starting to be uh, dealt with, right? Right. Along comes with COVID, Boom. tourism dies. Yeah. Everybody in the tourist industry practically went bankrupt in his had, you know, I personally have had a horrible year, lots of other people have too. Right. So, so what happened? All the forward-looking, thoughtful, yes approach to tourism went out the window and oh. now if you go to Kyoto and you want to talk to them about over tourism and how are we going to manage the tourists they'll just go what are you talking about they are desperate they just want them back oh really oh yeah so they're not 89
2: percent no then.
1: they're not of course not so what you have and so Japan is split between the industry and the people who depended on tourism and right. they're desperate and really want them back uh-huh. right and the rest of the country that did not depend on tourism or even if they did they're not aware of it
2: yeah they they're not aware of it right they're,
1: they're, so you also have even in kyoto a lot of older people or whatever that don't care and are not even don't even think of kyoto as an economic issue and they just hated having those crowds so uh so we're split between the industry or i wouldn't even say the industry the temple shrines everybody involved in tourism they desperately want it back yeah and and cities such as kyoto they desperate the government desperate because kyoto's going bankrupt actually okay uh-huh. the city. and so th- it is just desperate and so they they are so uninterested in talking about tourist management
2: Oh, wow. They're
1: just like, not, bring them all back. It's like, oh, we're desperate. Bring them back. We're, we're no, park work your business.
2: ship. Park
3: that's your cruise ship. Yeah, management. About. So
1: COVID <laughs> should have been a wonderful opportunity because it got quiet to step yeah. back and think, okay, now how could we do it? Right. But no, it's 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 just des- it is desperation out there. Whereas everybody, all the normal population of Japan is just once done with it anyway. <laughs> so that's your 89%. I've lost Ruth, yeah.
0: um, so yeah, I, I no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things about management, uh, which is often talked about in sustainable tourism, this has been the crowd control thing. And it's often, even in the busiest places, and I often think of Kakura's Main Street in front of Kakura Station like this, mm-hmm. there is two streets, actually, One street is always packed, busy, and quite often the parallel street, which I find just as interesting, Mm. is a lot less crowded. So, if you have, if we use technology, for example, if we work with Google and maps and they show, just like for drivers, which street is less busy and let the customer choose, or we physically have staff. They're saying, Oh, this street's a little bit busy now. Can you go to the next one? And hire Well, students the, And there or, may be
1: you know. some clever physical way to literally funnel it
0: one yeah. way or another
1: yeah. uh, when you start thinking about it.
0: So, um, even in yeah. the busiest places, um, what they found all over the world, mm-hmm. not just Japan, mm-hmm. is that quite often mm-hmm. there is another way. Oh, yeah. And you don't have to go down the busiest way. And through
2: management, I yes. know that's a dirty yeah. no, dirty word. No, but. it's
1: a wonderful word. <laughs> it, it, no, it's it's the magic word.
2: Yeah. But, yeah, and it requires so much thought. Yes, so it's a technology. Us, it's
1: a te- it's, yeah. it, I think of it as high tech. Uh, in Me Japan, too. there's this tendency to think high tech is when you make cameras. But there's the high tech of management, which isn't yeah. just. By the way, it yeah. also applies to things like zoos and all these other areas. Where or, or airports.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Like you have to manage an airport. It's, it's similar to yeah. that.
1: Yes, exactly. So tourism. So my whole kind of thesis about tourism is, tourism is beneficial for Japan. It's necessary for Japan. It's especially necessary for dying rural regions like Shikoku yeah. and like the Ia, which will only survive through tourism, right. so we need it. We really need it desperately, and I'm totally there to wave the flag for tourism. However, if not managed, it becomes toxic as any industry, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, so
1: when you think about it, in fact, if you go back to Japan, think of the Minamata case and everything, you know, where you have toxic discharges into the harbors and people were getting these horrible poisonings. Well, that doesn't mean that industry is bad. It just meant that there were no controls on toxic discharge. Right. And so that's how you got these minuses. And as soon as Japan started to control it, the waters were cleaned up, the air was cleaned up. They could go right on producing more than they ever had industrially, but it was now safe. And so that's- That is
0: what to think of. That's
1: the key thing. And so tourism, I think people need to think of it more as an industry. And yeah. like any other industry, it can have toxic side effects. So if you just manage the side effects, then you bring out the good side, the socially beneficial side. Yeah.
2: And Japan is in an extremely unique position where they could actually implement a management system across the entire country if they wanted to. It's one of those few places where if they wanted to do an entire country, you know, simple management of how to do tourism through IT, like Joy said, mm-hmm. um, it's possible. This is the country where they could actually make a benchmark for how tourism can be managed across the board. Uh,
1: but that's where the danger also lies, Ruth, because the minute you get these government uh, ministries involved, then you can get these ghastly uh, errors and mistakes and and weird ideas. Yeah. You know, so I kind of, Frank, personally, I kind of happy for the fragmentation uh, because it means uh-huh. that. Uh, it, it, if you do, if your village or your town wants to do something a bit different, you you still can. And uh, I, I think so I, 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 I'm not yeah. so so eager to see them implement a huge national plan because I've just seen so many areas where that goes wrong. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think for tourism too, a lot of <laughs> smaller destinations yeah. are starting to show how they are managing to yeah. Yeah. a bit better and becoming good examples. For other destinations, yes. looking for solutions. Yeah. So I think in that yeah. way, with regulation, yes, yeah. let's make some good standard regulation. But in the meantime, let's look at some of these great case studies around yeah. Japan because there are some. Yeah, you know? there are. Yeah, yeah.
1: And where the government, well, I, where the central government come in, is kind of at the several. So the regional places yeah. do these yeah. interesting, adventurous things, and at that point, yeah. the government can come in and say, "Look at what." such and such did now everybody we recommend you turn
2: right well i mean i when i think about it i think like things that can be done on a national level would be sort of like the go-to travel kind of initiative or you know where uh there's a law passed that you no more funding for cruise ship you know preparation you know things like that i mean there are some things that the that I've always heard that Japan is the only country in the world where some new technology for a smartphone is rolled out in the whole country at once. It's not in like little prefectures. So it's kind of like, it's an interesting idea that instead of just doing it on a city basis, you could actually change laws to say, no, you cannot build a parking lot this close to a temple that's been designated as a, you know, a precious resource for Japan or... I mean, maybe there are some really basic things that Japan could do.
0: Preserve the trees yeah. in urban yeah. areas, but, uh, don't but, develop yeah. without trees. And,
1: but but and you're imagining that, that, that these national laws that get passed are always going to be forward-looking and eco-conscious and so on. So what you're more likely to get is the law that says, trees are dangerous, let's cut off the branches. That's very oh. likely, and in fact, that's exactly what's going on. So you know
3: the, uh, the the it's a two-sided coin
1: and so you really have to be careful because it's not always yeah. necessarily going to be so, exactly. so great and the same people that are capable of saying let's have no more cruise ship lines are exactly the same people who say every prefecture should have cruise ships except maybe nagano right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've been here long enough to know I go through the whole no smoking situation in Japan, you know, where it was like, Uh oh, no, everybody's smoking on the train, on the commuter train from Shinbashi to like smoking and people like opening windows and things like that. And then, you know, two weeks after that, somebody makes it. Well, the central government makes an announcement that no, there's not going to be any more smoking on um, train platforms anymore, or in one c- certain area of the train platform. And so, it, you it's know, weird. come to know it two weeks down the line, everybody's bunched up in the little area mm-hmm. at the end of the train platform, smoking there. And then two weeks later, it's like no more smoking. Well, so
1: on Japan, the Japan, no, that's, Japan's one of Japan's great strengths. I remember when I was a little boy and we lived in Tokyo and there was a terrible yeah. problem of people honking their cars. Oh, okay. yeah, which is hard to imagine now, right? But it was right. kind of like in you know, Italy or something. And then there was this government campaign and they said no more honking. It was like overnight, it stopped. <laughs> yeah. So, so when they do institute these things, it,
3: that's positive. It, it's that's It's
1: very strong. So but the, the, the where it gets is it's, it's, it's double hearted hearted is it, right? what's going to be the content of that. So in the case of smoking, it was great and honking too.
2: So I have a question for you guys. Um, I feel like, so, you know, they had that test case where they brought some tourists over about three weeks ago or that. four weeks ago That's as they are trying that, to like there, and, and Garen's barbarians. there were a couple of those people from Hawaii cause I yeah, saw them yeah, doing yeah, the Shaka sign yeah. and all that. And um, one of the guys said, I think that one of the challenges you're gonna face mm. is the mask issue. Because where we come from, nobody's wearing a mask anymore. So people are not going to want to wear a mask. And when I heard that, I feel I felt like, okay, a huge new gap has opened up between what is considered uh, common in Japan and like basic etiquette in Japan at the moment that might change a month from now. But at the moment, what's considered basic etiquette here in terms of like viruses and things like that and what's considered not not even thought of as sort of an etiquette kind of issue so i i imagine how to go forward in the short term when you're going to get a whole bunch of people coming back who are sort of like no we don't wear masks you know at all my daughter just went to germany and they don't wear masks there and she's just like yeah. there's there's one wrinkle uh to that, that problem yeah. is uh
0: i also read some reports from people on the group tour and uh, the rule in Japan was officially changed. Outside, you yeah. don't need a mask. But for people on this tour, they were told twenty-four-seven inside
2: and outside they need to wear. A e- mask. Even
1: though the government has said you even don't have to wear it outside, yeah, has yeah.
2: changed the rule. Okay, but i'm I'm talking of, I'm talking about more soft issue because. Right. The rules have been relaxed, but even in Kamakura now, everybody's wearing a mask. So that kind of sensitivity issue. So, how do you, how do you, so when somebody goes to a place and they notice that everybody is wearing a mask there, you know, let's put aside dumb rules that uh, don't make sense. But when everybody is wearing a mask and then suddenly people come and say, like, how do you handle a situation like that? Like, how do you kindly, Ask them to be sensitive to this place that they've come. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, that's one that's one, day, that's one big problem. Yeah. Now, what uh, what Thailand has done because they actually they're, they're okay. incredibly mask conscious and everybody and all everybody right hot and they still wear these. Ma- I mean, people really wear their masks. Uh, yeah. It, at, it, in twenty twenty, it was more than Japan. I mean, they were like the the whole country. Uh, you know they. Is it, so it an
0: official rule? Uh,
1: well, it was a rule. It wasn't uh, legally enforced or something. It's yeah. like Japan. There's no law that says you got to wear a mask, Just, Yeah. People do.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's still there, right. and people do still wear the mask. But what they've said uh, officially now for the tourists that are coming into Thailand is they don't need to wear masks outs- outside, right? But in right. enclosed spaces such as restaurants or whatever, they should wear masks. And I think that's that, That's the reasonable way to go. And since Japan has already declared that, that that's okay, it shouldn't be that difficult. Uh,
2: how do the Thai people feel about that, though, when they're wearing a mask outside and their visitors are not? Are they okay with that?
1: Um, I think there's a, let's put it, how would I say? There's less concern about it now. And one of the, okay. one of the reasons is, is that people are vaccinated.
3: Vaccines.
1: And right. Vaccines and vaccines, and also there's the fact that you can't go into Thailand unless you've been vaccinated three times and had a PCR test before getting on your plane. So what does that mean? It means that the guy that flew into Thailand is much safer than the Thai that you meet in the supermarket, which is one of the things that the Japanese public hasn't realized is that if you have to be fully vaccinated, PCR tested, and whatever, then believe me, you're safer than almost any Japanese that they would meet on the street because it's this idea that COVID is brought in from outside.
2: Yeah, I think you've totally hit on It is
1: completely not true anymore. It is a domestic disease, you know.
2: It's making sure that the local population and all the regional areas understand how the kind of process that all these visitors have gone through in order yeah, to get but, into the country, and that would alleviate a lot of yeah, worry. But
1: that has not been expressed. And so that takes right. us back to the, an idea which, unfortunately, in other ways, in schools and in people's upbringing has been pounded home for a very long time, which is that foreigners are dangerous and the mm-hmm. outside world is scary and all that kind of thing. And that's where you get your 89%.
0: Yeah, I, I have a nice story to tell because uh, it was, you know, it's negative and people are worried about people coming in for tourism and stuff. But I was in Onomichi, in the beautiful historical port town, Honomichi, mm-hmm. Hiroshima, mm-hmm. recently, mm-hmm. and I was walking the back streets, uh, the old uh, up
1: on the hillside there,
0: Ginzan line, like yeah, it's an yeah. old small street through yeah. residential. Yeah, so. yeah. And I walked up on these guys fixing a house and they turned and they looked at me and they said, "Oh, uh-huh. And I was like, immediately my <laughs> my heart melted and I was so happy hmm. to meet anyone local who said, welcome back.
1: Welcome back, yeah. And yeah.
0: Maybe they misunderstood that I, I look <laughs> like a, someone who has a house there for whatever reason, but wouldn't that be a great new japan tourism that would be
1: that would be a good slogan wouldn't it to get
0: everybody to say welcome back to the tourists or international people who are walking around their town yeah so i thought that was a nice
1: story i do think that uh, the government could do a better job at explaining that the foreigners are not bringing in COVID. actually the foreigners should be more worried yeah right because there's more risk to them from the japanese than vice versa
0: well, there is mass culture
1: which does yes yeah it. yeah obviously but but in other words uh the idea that someone's going to bring in co- the number of people with those restrictions who can actually bring covet in yeah. i mean i'm sure yeah. that there can be some f- cases but but it's it's going to be really yeah. now we have yeah. only
2: about well,
0: nine more minutes yeah, so Alex, yeah. You had- a a big announcement oh
1: well uh, um, I think I'm going to you know what I'm going to wait wait on this announcement because it's not about tourism okay it's a different story okay Uh, so uh, uh, we'll save that there's one other aspect by the way of this tourism thing in our last uh, nine minutes uh, which is uh, so far everything we've talked is uh, on the side of of the people who are receiving the tourists right the management but I think we should look at it from two sides there's also us the travelers yes And yes. I always f- felt I could hop on a plane and go anywhere. It never occurred to me ever that I shouldn't go to any certain place, right? But I think we now need to think it. And so there are, are certain places that can benefit from wing. And so you, right. think, and then you, think, especially if, with COVID and even post COVID when travels got expensive. And difficult, complicated, and you take all these tests. And you know, it's, in many countries. It's still in Asia. It's certainly not easy to travel. So, since we're more limited okay. in our travel, in my limited travel time, where could I go that I could benefit the people, right? So, people going up to Tohoku can bring benefit. People going to Kyoto can only damage it. <laughs> That's too strong, obviously. Uh,
3: uh-huh. Don't don't
1: misquote me on that. But, like that. but, but words, like that. you need to think about where you could go that you will actually benefit the locals and where you could go that you might be a problem and make that part mm-hmm. of your personal choice. So it's not just about how you manage them when they get there. It's about impressing on people. I mean, uh, there's uh, what I'm calling the, uh, your tourist footprint, Uh, Uh Because nowadays we're very aware of our carbon footprint, you know, and there are people that won't take planes, right, because of the carbon footprint. There's a tourist footprint. So if you go to Bali, you're leaving a lot of garbage and whatever. That's your tourist footprint. So if you do go to Bali, then how can you do it in a way that you don't leave such a big tourist footprint? Or maybe you wouldn't go to Bali. And or go if to, you,
0: you want to go to Bali, you might choose more sustainable.
1: That's hotels. right. So you would choose. But
0: now there are listings. There, sustainable it, businesses. It, you
1: right? would you would choose the sustainable hotel. You wouldn't throw your plastic on the beach and all of that. And so there's a way to reduce. So we need to be thinking each one of us about our tourist footprint.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we know that there's big demand in the other countries for sustainable tourism, sustainable business options for travelers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like 80% of people are seeking sustainable travel options. Yeah. Whether they find it or not, they're looking for yeah. it. So if you have yeah. a business or you have a destination in Japan that is trying to do something sustainability, mm. some more sustainably, yeah. and you have that as part of your brand, that is a huge point of appeal for mm. the international visitor that you want The good visitor that you want,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, So that's the other aspect. There are kind of two sides of it. There's the the, the receiving side, and then there's we who travel. And I have to admit that I never thought about this before, ever. Mm -hmm. This is really since COVID that I started myself thinking about this issue. Okay, where could I go make the right kind of space?
0: Right. Uh, we have a good comment from marion if you have an inn at inns pun intended how can we convince them to light on the meals i would love to spend more than one night but i can't handle such big meals so the idea of food waste is always um, yeah, a yeah. part of eating out but so uh, oh, management. Well,
1: this is one of the things that um that, uh, you and i were talking about uh, which is unfortunately food hospitality in Japan also got in local area behind the times and, and it was this enormous yeah. massive, complicated feast with 25 different dishes and shrimp flown in from Hokkaido and, da, 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 and that was like hospitality. whereas actually the modern, certainly gourmet visitor <laughs> is very often looking for something much more Spartan, much they wanted locally yes. uh, sourced. Uh, They don't need all that uh, much of a muchness. But sadly, the the tourism mode that got fixed, really, with big bus tourism from the 70s onwards, is Uh exactly exactly what Marion is describing. And this is where uh, this uh, dining out project that I've been doing for a long time now, that's exactly what we're trying to impress on the locals. We get these, uh, Marion, we get these uh, innkeepers and restaurateurs to attend our... Are these events where basically we bring in a famous chef to some you know far away place and he can only use the local materials and because uh-huh. the Japanese it's just good of these things are very sophisticated these people that come from Tokyo are looking for the feast of the da, 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 da. they want that right. one perfect clam they're happy yeah. with it yeah you know. and so that's what the and then when the in people see that happening, it's an eye opener. They go, oh, yeah.
0: But that's I, what
1: the modern traveler is seeking. It hasn't occurred to yeah. them because JTB is telling them, no, you need this massive feast. Yeah. But that's out of date.
0: I would also add that yeah. um, for people who don't eat meat or fish, seeking vegetarian options, gluten free options with allergies, this is also a big issue. Often you cannot book the traditional no. inn without the big meal and you can't cater that meal to people with allergies. No. Um, so having a more flexible system about food is definitely yeah. a great idea. Yeah, yeah.
2: important. Well, let me tell you, Marion, what I do. What I do is I just ask for uh, breakfast, because sometimes you can just choose the breakfast. And oftentimes I'll say, is it possible to have it vegetarian? And then you get a nice, light, beautiful veg- uh, breakfast with lots of vegetables. And then I make sure to let them know that they do not have to change the cost. So I'm still willing to pay the same amount, but I do not need that big humongous you know, dinner in the evening. And I, I think that a lot of these uh, Japanese inns feel like they cannot charge that amount for the room unless they have that huge big meal at night. But um, you know, at least from the outside looking in, not maybe for us living here in Japan, but from the outside looking in, one night at one of these beautiful inns for twenty five thousand yen per person, even without a big dinner, yes. is still a really, really reasonable price, right?
1: Absolutely, uh, it's it's a bargain compared to what you would spend, yeah. certainly in Europe.
2: Exactly, and it's
0: it's about the experience. It's it's not really about the the enormous or the how long it took you to make this dish right Mm. Um, and i think we we also haven't really talked about the the attitude of the staff the welcoming nature of of the engagement with the guest which is also really important yeah and uh one one other thing which i've really noticed staying here at alex's house is the whole idea of transitions right which I find really magical for Japanese places, like Japanese inns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you check in, you have a sitting area with some tea, you go to dinner, you come back, there's beautiful beds laid out. That transition, oh, no. that doesn't happen outside of Japan, no, as far as no. I've seen. Mm-hmm. And that, that's part of the magic. I know it's it's a hassle for the staff maybe, but there are so many beautiful elements of Japanese culture and Japanese hospitality yeah. culture which I think we can focus on more mm-hmm. than the wasteful things that maybe
1: people right. That people with. don't even want that. The, the, the thing is that this mode of serving this stuff that supposedly the Japanese want is so out of date because the Japanese don't want it. Yeah. They don't want it. Exactly. right So <laughs> it's just completely out of tune, even domestically, not to mention just with yes. the foreigners. <laughs>
0: So that's a that's a great point for sustainability for anything really you have to assess where you are you have to assess where you want to be and be honest about how you're getting data and how you're moving forward to make that better opportunity and I think that that really applies for tourism Mm. in Japan where we are right now. Mm. Thank you so much, Ruth. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you.
3: It's
0: so wonderful this to be here great. in person. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining online. Is there anything you want to yeah. say before we end?
1: Any final words? Uh, just looking forward to the reunion.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I got out of today that if I see any other international person, I'm going to say welcome back say, to them.
1: Say <laughs> hey, Side.
2: Hey. Welcome back.
0: If you see a person who looks Japanese but they have a suitcase, say it to them, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks everyone and see you next time. Have a great day. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. See, he, he, he.
3: Round and around and around in the middle of my classroom. I
2: show my tears to you, I'm stronger I dropped the armor, now I'm bolder